Dice Company will always be free, but it's not free to make. Please consider supporting us on Patreon or Apple Podcasts and get access to our weekly roundtable show, Extra Roll. Just follow any of the links in the show notes for this chapter. Dice Company is a sweary, brutal, violent podcast which deals with adult themes. No feelings were hurt in the making of it, but listener discretion is advised. Welcome one and all to Dice Company, where a group of old friends weave tales of triumph, heroism and despair under the guise of playing Dungeons and Dragons. My name is Tom and I'll be your DM through the continuing adventures of this pack of navel-gazing lone wolves. Navel-gazing lone wolves, please introduce yourselves and your characters and give the audience one fun fact about yourselves so that we may try and diagnose the origin of your hatred of teamwork. Hello, I am Dave and I am playing Benny Quaz. As we established last week, Benny was brought up in an orphanage and doesn't know his, his parents or his birthday. But Benny is not, in fact, his real name. As a young child, Benny uh, would was sent out, because it wasn't a particularly caring orphanage. The children were all sent out to earn their keep, which was usually done through begging and petty crime. And Benny, being very young, couldn't say a lot of words. So just say, Benny, Benny. Penny Gov, Penny. And he became known by the children as Penny Benny, just because it rhymes, kids like rhymes. And uh, eventually it stuck, and that became his name. And that became Brennan Pissyfingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then it evolved over time. Many name changes. Well, well, well. I think we have a new best fact. I would not want to be the rest of you following that. That was superb. Thanks. I'm glad you didn't ask me what his real name is. Nope. <laughs> None of my business. I haven't got that far. <laughs> is there anyone in the quest who is using their real name at all? Obviously, talk. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not going to put up my best stuff after uh, Benny's intro. <laughs> I am, I'm Harry, and I'm playing Tok, who is an imposing but surprisingly gentle six-foot-eight automaton. Humans are uh, tenth, uh, possibly moving up to ninth on Tok's list of best animals, but gnomes, dwarves, and elves, etc., are uh, are not on the list. This isn't an oversight. This is because Tok learnt from an old gnomish friend of Tick's that unlike humans, the elder races are not mere animals. Hmm. All right. That's very good as well. Oh my God. We got to two and a half points last week. We did get to two and a half. Best thing about my facts is there's no way that Charlie can steal them because they're. (laughs) Right. So I I want to point out. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, it's true. Sometimes I piggyback on the facts of others. I'm Charlie. I play Vanda Finnick. And yeah, I'm not going to roll out my best stuff either. So, uh, Vanda has had precisely two existential crises in his life, but don't worry too much because he's handed out 191 existential crises to others. And they're all on a spreadsheet. (laughs) (laughs) Which you would be very good at if they existed in this world. (laughs) Fun fact alert. I'm taking care of the half. (laughs) That's the half. I look forward to ruining this for everyone. Uh, So I am Alex. I am playing Augustus Sino. And my fun fact this week is that Augustus does not want to talk about what happened in the pleasure houses of Gothamer. Intrigue. I quite like that one, you know. I'm going to give that a half for a a record-setting three out of four. And in a break from the norm, we have a fan letter. What? That's right. A fan has written to us. Um, hang on. I, okay. I think we need to get back from the excitement about the letter slash email to the word before that. I also want... Fan? 
I thought your I thought your parents had stopped listening. Well, well, the letter reads as follows: Long time listener, first time caller. Love the podcast, but I have concerns. Given that the universe is infinite and time is just a construct, but a constantly shifting chain of causes and effects too, and assuming that we are in fact individual beings with free will and not just simulacrums used to tell the stories of others, and that no man is an island and we don't just want to survive, but thrive when we work with others, my question is this. Why are all the players so opposed to acting like a team? I don't include Tuck in this. He's a sweetheart. I'll hang up and listen to the answer. That was uh, Chris from North London, by the way. <laughs> Obviously, I'm super psyched that we got a letter from... Uh, by the way, I would not regard that as fan mail. <laughs> that seemed like a complaint. But, um... Sounds like they were a fan of talks. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but, um, okay, well, anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass this up. Join the talk fan club. It was very meta, so I think um, Augustus loves breaking the fourth wall, so I think he should field it. I was starting to wonder if it had been written by Augustus through the through the fourth wall and somehow <laughs> arrived. It would just it would explain how we got a fan. <laughs> it would also explain how I woke up last night and Augustus was in my bedroom. <laughs> All I can say is for the uh, for the listeners rather than the viewers is that well, I'm he's gone sure. plural. That's bold. <laughs> I'm pretty, <laughs> bold. overconfident. You might say. I think I just got a glimpse of Harry, and is he suddenly wearing sunglasses? <laughs> he is absolutely wearing sunglasses in the most preposterous move ever seen. Is that literally a cool guy power play? I'm out doing Charlie now, aren't I? Are you trying to be a cool emoji? I've known Harry for a long time. I've never seen him pay the compliment, so I guess we're, we're new grand. This is what happens, clearly. It is an abusive circle of friends, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for calling us friends. <laughs> Someone needs to answer the question. I think the answer is, I've been awesome all the way through, but these guys just don't understand teamwork. There you go. Apart from Tok, who I can probably work with. Benny doesn't like, A, the posh and entitled, and B, people telling him what to do. So really, he's not got, he's not got the teammates he, he requires for harmony. Augustus objects to being referred to as posh and entitled. He worked for everything. He, he worked to be born into this level of privilege. Well, I think uh, I want to just uh, I preempt. I think this is the episode where, we, where it all comes together and we get on famously. Go team, we got this. I'm going to write a rambly, drunken and emotional blog post responding to this North London person. Well, there we go. There we have it. Thanks for the letter and a very happy 70th birthday to you. More too. fan mail then. Happy birthday. <laughs> happy 70th birthday to Chris from North London. And without further ado, let's get stuck into this week's chapter of Dice Company. Last time on Dice Company, having brought death and destruction to the peaceful village of Haven, you evacuated the city of locals, timber-bombed an imperial airship, and escaped to the east. After a week of simple air travel, you dropped the survivors of Haven in the Moonshadow Mountains in the north of Ovik. With them safely deposited, you boarded the airship, newly christened the Sterling, and set sail through the calm skies heading towards a safe space on the mountain of Grod Sankir, also known as the Celestial Sentinel. This was suggested to you by the Obsidian Matrix. The mountain, while apparently safe, is also near to the gnomish city of Slateholm, a place Vanda seems to know well, including a contact by the name of Gearhead. 
With less than a full day's travel ahead, you still have five days worth of ration and water and a new cook, Rosalind the Tortle. Ship's Biscuit Vander Finnick, please roll a d20. And for the rest of you, please decide who is going to roll a survival check, a perception check, and a nature check. I have rolled a one. Oh, God. The squid's back. <laughs> and this time he's in flight. We're not going to make it, guys. Yeah. I think we're going to Hindenburg. <laughs> you rolled a natural one. Yeah, we did. Um, yeah, we? so I'm assuming... <laughs> we're a team. <laughs> we just talked about teamwork. We rolled a one. And I think we're going to go out like a fireball now, presumably. Uh, Tockle, Tockle roll a nature check. Um, can I, okay. I don't think any of you know anything about nature at all. Uh, so that's 12 on the nature check, unfortunately. I might, my nature nature would be strongest for me, but uh, I'll go perception because I, my survival is very poor. And uh, 16 on perception. A four in survival. We're going to die. <laughs> oh, God. So we're going to know a lot about and see in great detail the trees we scud into. Is that what that tells me? <laughs> Pine cones hurt when you land on them. <laughs> Useful smash. It seems a shame to have done that extensive intro when we're all about to die three minutes into the episode, isn't it? Imagine how the listener feels. <laughs> <laughs> At least we'll do it as a team. As you look out over the side of the Sterling, you can see the moonshadow mountains rising like ancient monoliths, their peaks shrouded in a misty veil that gives them an ethereal quality. The rugged terrain stretches as far as the eye can see, and they present a tapestry with jagged cliffs and steep slopes adorned with lush greenery and cascading waterfalls. As the airship glides over the landscape, the sunlight dances upon the snow-capped summits, casting a radiant glow. Deep valleys and narrow ravines wind through the mountain range, hinting at hidden caves and mysterious passages waiting exploration. A network of crystal-clear streams and rivers meander through the valleys, reflecting the sunlight like liquid silver. Then, a colossal shadow sweeps across the deck of the ship. You look up to see a creature of ancient legend, an untamed might. With wings outstretched, the enormous form of a prehistoric beast glides effortlessly through the air over the airship. Its wingspan is wider than the ship as it casts its dark silhouette. Its scaly lizard-like skin shimmers in hues of iridescent blues and greens, catching the sunlight and creating an ethereal glow. Its elongated and slender head reaching a beak-like point, it swoops suddenly to the left, and its wings draw in as it disappears from view. Roll initiative. Oh, good lord. I read the wrong book. I should have read the sequel, Air Beast Takes a Lover. 16. 11. 13. And 19 from Tok. Where were these rolls when we could have avoided this whole situation? Yeah. I mean, my, my perception roll meant we, we spotted it. So, yeah. I, I got nothing. I, I just feel like this is just, I, I feel like Chris, Chris from North London is just rolling his eyes at the, that barbed comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried that I'm standing right at the pointy nose end of the boat. To the east of the boat, you can see the huge prehistoric creature. It looks like it's threatening to attack. Tok, you are first to act. Are the dodge. automatons at the battle stations? Uh, was it Plex at the ballista at the front? Okay, and that's pretty close to the ship, isn't it? Okay, Tok is going to move to the side of the uh, the deck with the creature there, and he's going to launch a firebolt at it. Right, okay, Tok gets a 25 to hit with his firebolt. It's a hit. Please roll for damage. Does a massive two damage. So rushing over to the side of the airship, the Sterling, Tok raises his hand and a bolt of fire flies out of his fingertip, crashing into the side of the giant scaly beast which barely registers the hit. Anything else, Tok? He's going to um, shout the vander and say, uh, maybe we should land the ship. 
this beast looks formidable. Sorry, you just you just like poke a giant dragon and then turn to me and just throw me the problem. Yes. Go team. <laughs> just for clarity, I do believe that's what just happened. Yeah, cool. Don't worry, Jock. You go have a nap. We'll sort this one out. Uh, next up is Augustus. I just want to see if there's a place I can get to that would put everyone within 30 feet of me. You could get everyone apart from Vanda. Okay, perfect. Oh, that was easy, wasn't it? <laughs> That's gone rather well. Woo! Lucky, lucky there were no moral dilemmas there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have absolutely no problem with what is happening right now. Just the guy steering the ship. Don't worry. Totally expendable. So, if I've understood this correctly, so I'm going to bless Plex, Benny, and Tok. So I can bless three beings. And what that is going to do is whenever any of them makes an attack roll or a saving throw for the next minute, they can roll a d4 and add the number to their attack or saving throw. Arm up my boys, because I've got really not good at firing things. So I'm hoping that they're going to be better than me at that. Very nice. Okay. The creature's turn. The creature flies in and lands heavily on the front of the airship and begins to attack Plex and begins to attack the ballista. That's a natural 20. Ooh. Okay, so that's so 6d6 plus 2. Oh, God. Well, okay, that's not good. That's 25 damage. It's like a lot, doesn't it? So the creature swoops in, having identified the threat from Plex at the front of the ship, lands heavily, causing the airship to tip forward slightly as it leans back, and with one enormous munch, he swallows Plex whole and destroys the ballista. Oh, my God. Well, joke's on him because Plex isn't made of food, is he? I mean, the big problem here is that now the name of our ship just feels like playing favourites, doesn't it? It's now called the Sterling Plex. That sounds like a wrestling move. (laughs) (laughs) I also feel like the name of the ship is about to get a lot longer if if everyone who dies today goes on the name. (laughs) At least we don't have a funeral for this one. Obviously, Plex won't have a a normal funeral. And this is the second time that... Is that a second? Oh, no. No. Is there a second dragon? A second prehistoric creature appears from the west. You keep on saying prehistoric creature, but I'm pretty sure there aren't any like dragon dinosaurs. Uh, then I'm afraid you'd be wrong. How embarrassing. Yes, well, exactly. It, it lands heavily on the side of the ship, further causing the ship to tilt forward, and it begins to attack the ship itself. I had a real hope it was going to attack the other one. There was a moment there, wasn't it? Yeah. That is a 23, which is a hit. So 3d6 plus 2 for 6 damage. Uh, yeah, so it, it kind of bites into the, the beautiful, ornate wood features of the boat, uh, causing a bit of chew damage, but not much more than that. To the sign that previously said the sterling. <laughs> it's just fine, we've got to replace that anyway, so it's not a problem. Vanda. I'm obviously horribly upset by what's just happened, but my reaction is I, is I just say, Bastards! And I push the ship into an immediate dive, uh, trying to shake the dragons off. At the same time, I'm going to cast Grease, because as we know, Grease is slippery. Very nice. Are you just telling your companions to hold on first? No, you guys are all blessed, right? You should be fine. <laughs> oh, so this is a this is passive aggression. <laughs> I, am, I don't have enough automatons to last me more than about three weeks with you guys. You're getting all my friends killed. Everyone but me got blessed. So this dive grease thing is fine. No problem. I'm not upset. Okay, Vander rolls his eyes and says, You're upset. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> okay. As an afterthought. Very much an afterthought. Tie yourself to the main stick. 
screw you guys. Is that why you is that why you got rid of the ballista, by the way? You thought that's something I'd have to pronounce or just eat it. <laughs> no, no, it's because you rolled a natural one. I, and like, <laughs> what do you want from me? Roll better. <laughs> I want packs back. <laughs> Where would you like to put your 10-foot grease stain? I'll put it on the front main stick because that'll catch both dragons, I think. Not dragons, prehistoric. And when you say the stick, you mean the deck? No, he means the mast. I, I put it, yeah, there you go. Have they landed on the mast? No, they've landed on the, also on the foredeck. Yeah, they're, they're on the poop deck. I think we should say poop deck. Yeah. Poop, deck's, poop deck's the one with the steering wheel. So we're, Vander, you're on the poop deck. They're on the foredeck. Four they're on the, for, for people who can't see the map, they're at the other end. They're at the front. So I'm thinking, I'm kind of throwing the ship into a mad dive in the hopes that I can dislodge the prehistoric creatures. Let's see how they do with a dexterity saving throw. What is the uh, save DC? Spell save DC 15. Uh, so we'll start with the one on the left-hand side, 16. And the one at the front, 8. Yeah, so Vanda, you create grease within a 10-foot square at the north end of the ship. Um, it kind of splatters on the floor where the creatures are, and the first one to land an attack immediately slips and falls off the front of the ship. It's dead. Uh, and disappears from view under the ship. You can hear it kind of rattling underneath. Uh, the, the second one to attack manages, however, to dip its claws in as the airship now is nosed to the floor. Actually, I'm going to call my automatons to me. We want to keep an eye on where that one went, because I feel like in 24 to 48 hours, we might be able to get Plex back. <laughs> uh, Benny. It could see the automatons backing away, make sure there's no no kind of shield between us and the uh, the dragon. That's, that's exciting. I'll do the same myself. I'm going to come back to over here. Half of them are dead already. Can Lenny come with me? Yep. So Lenny follows you. And then I'm going to going to aim an arrow using uh, Lorian's bow. Uh, Twenty two is a hit. Please roll for damage. Eight piercing and a DC fourteen dexterity save. Another dexterity saving throw. Yeah. 16 is a pass. Yeah, so you uh, you fire Lorian's bow at the creature and it hits it directly in one of its paws uh, and it looks for a moment like it's going to pin it to the ship, uh, but the creature is able to shake the arrow off of him. And then I duck beneath this staircase and out of sight. Uh, are you, so you're hiding. That makes it sound cowardly. I'm just using words of the English language. I think it's super heroic. Yeah, I would say it's a heroic coward. I'll take it from you, Alex. I'll not take it from the man who just called in tom- his automatons in front of him. I thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Tok, back to the top of the round. Okay, Tok is going to advance towards the automaton so I can get... Okay, he's going to move to the front and then he's going to launch another firebolt at it because he can't quite reach with a spear. Oh no. Okay, so that's a 26 and I'll get an extra d4. Technically 28. Uh, Is a hit. How beautifully unnecessary. (laughs) Exactly. And then only another two fire damage. It seems to be the only damage number I can roll. So once again, you raise your hand and a bolt of fire uh, flies out into the side of the lizard, gigantic lizard. Why do I bother? Who, again, doesn't really register the hit at all. Augustus. I am going to... So I will go to here and I will attack with my rapier. 24. Is a hit. Roll for damage. Nine. Very nice. And I would also like to use my Divine Smite. So when you hit a creature with a melee attack weapon, you can expend one spell slot to deal radiant damage to the target in addition to the weapon's damage. The extra damage is 2d8 for a first level spell slot. So 2d8. So after all, 2d8? Yes, please. 12. 
for a total of 21. Please tell me the story of how Augustus kills the giant flying lizard. Nice. Oh my. Glancing back towards his cowering automaton-defended buddies, Antok, who he nods to politely, uh, (laughs) he drives his rapier deep into the ribcage of this enormous, terrifying creature, which lets out a hideous squeal of pain, and then the tip of the rapier reaches its heart, it dies peacefully and falls off the ship. Yes, it does. I mean, stretching peacefully to probably breaking point there. It dies quickly. Definitely the best kill of the campaign so far. Yeah, that's awesome. Ew. Badly, could you roll me a d20, please? And again, uh, 13. The ship suddenly rocks as if it's been hit by a boulder, as from the other side, the previously greased creature reappears. A little greased up, or...? Uh, Its paws look a little greasy. Augustus, was there anything else you wanted to do on your turn? Turn to face the new monster and sigh deeply, please. It flies directly and lands heavily on the centre of the ship, which is, by the way, still nose down and heading towards the ground. And it is going to attack Tok. Very wise. 14. Bounces off his shield. Tok, can you please give me a dexterity saving throw? Because I rolled a total of a seven. The impact of the creature suddenly appearing and flying directly at you has knocked you back five feet. Uh Uh-oh. You topple and slip over the side of the airship. There is rigging there, at least, isn't there? (laughs) There is rigging. Uh, Tok is going to uh, grab onto the side as her dear life. So you're now holding with one hand onto the side of the rigging, dangling off the side of the ship. Can you describe sort of Tok's position? Does it look like he needs help or like he can... He definitely needs help. He failed the dexterity check, which is the prop, which is what was keeping me. The only thing now keeping on the ship is his grasp of pretty flimsy kind of rope and material. And obviously, as we know with Tok, he's not light. I was, I was, going, to, I was going to help and then I saw my seven for strength and I'm not sure it's a good idea anymore. <laughs> I mean, you could still help. There's nothing stopping you helping. Oh yeah, I'm just thinking if I'm if I've got to do a dex a, a strength saving throw, I'm in a world of trouble. I think killing this thing is going to be um, still pretty handy there. Though you're going to get sneak attacks with Augustus being in there. Yeah, let Alex play hero and rescue. You. Vanda, it's your turn. I'm going to leap as far as Vanda does or is able to leap. You're going to clamber past your automatons. Clamber past my automatons and hold onto the barrels there because I'm obviously very unsteady on my feet. And while I yell at the automatons, starboard, I'm going to get them to thrust the ship starboard. And as my action, I'm going to cast telekinetic hand and I'm going to pull Tok five feet back into the ship. Is, uh, is starboard left or right? Yeah, I do need to know that too. <laughs> it's, it's right. Vander, you, you hobble over, holding onto the barrel as you raise your hand in the air, instructing the automatons to do a sharp right. The kind of momentum of the ship suddenly turning so drastically, combined with your gentle push of your hand, lifts Tok's incredibly heavy frame back over the top, like someone being thrown over the top rope of a wrestling ring, holding on, and he crashes onto the deck of the ship, safe, seemingly, although in combat with the giant creature. I'll take it over dangly off the side of the ship. Hell of a round, Vanda. Hell of an idea. I like it a lot. A lot of time for that. Team play me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you ruined it. You ruined it. And <laughs> open your mouth. Good work, Vanda. <laughs> Benny. Benny uh, leans out from under the stairs and noticing the dragon is not aware of a prehistoric creature, excuse me, is not aware of him. He uh, fires off uh, an arrow. At advantage. Quite. 
22. Is a hit. Please roll for damage, including sneak damage. Uh, so that's 11 total. And the creature needs to do a dexterity save. Oh, damn. I already hate that bow. It's a pass. Just 14. Exactly what you needed. Not 100% convinced I actually want to pin this creature. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I duck back under the stairs and pull cowering Lenny onto my lap to soothe him. Uh, Vander, can you roll a d20 for me, please? Not loving these. Uh... Yeah, please add another one of these creatures. Eight. Feel safe. Thank you very much. Uh, just so everyone's aware, the DM just rolled a 12. Talk back to you, top of the round. So we don't know what just what that any of that just meant. Oh. Wonderful. I might mean, I think it means uh, these are child dragons and the furious mother dragon is uh, on her way. Oh, please don't say that. Tok is going to um, snatch up his spear from the deck. He's going to move around the beast so he is no longer right up against the uh, the gunnels of the um, on the side of the ship. He doesn't want to fall off again, and uh, he's going to stab it with his spear. Not too hard, just uh, a gentle stabbing. Okay, so that is a 22 to hit. Is a hit. Roll for damage. Six piercing damage. Oh, hang on. I would have got advantage, wasn't I? Because I'm on the other side of... I'm going to roll just in case I get a crit. Yep, do it. I do. Whoa. I do get a crit. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I remembered that. Plus two. So I rolled a four and mm-hmm. add an extra two to it. So that's 10 then, I guess. Okay. So um, Tark, having reestablished yourself back on the poop deck of the ship, uh, right, ne- right next to the stick, um, you, you take your wonderful and incredibly deadly spear, spin it around and jab it directly into the side of the creature. It lets out a blood-curdling scream. Um, there is now a lot of blood appearing on the deck of the ship. Tark will um, shout across to Augustus and say, uh, Augustus, I have pinned it. You may cut Plex out of its stomach now. Oh, how wonderful. Augustus, it is your turn. Affect my attack. I'm going to try and cut Plex out of its stomach, I guess. Do it. Remember, you get advantage on the hit there. Rolling advantage, rapier. 24. Is a hit. Please roll for damage. 10. Please tell me the story of how Augustus kills the other prehistoric terror beast. Oh my. (laughs) Taking Tox instruction on board, he steps forward and swings his rapier in a wide arc and slashes it beneath the ribcage of the large creature and cuts it wide open and Plex comes tumbling out onto the deck and the creature sags onto the... I don't know what that crisscrossy thing that it's standing on is. I mean, I mean welcome, welcome to Ships and Shipping podcast, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's the metal grates that let you put like cargo and stuff in there. Why don't you guys name basic things? It's just a grate. <laughs> okay. In that case, I finished by saying, great job, prehistoric dinosaur. Oh. <laughs> I feel like everyone should take one D4 psychic <laughs> damage for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think- I think Chris from North London just did. <laughs> As explained, um, the automaton then rolls out covered in the kind of sticky innards of the terror beast. And as he rolls forward, he stops in a sitting motion, turns his head, looks around. Vander. He is cowering at the back of the ship. Uh, I reach out and you know, like when you offer a little kid a high five, they like gingerly put your hand out and just tap it. I do that. And I'm thinking Plex does the same thing. We just bat hands. Uh, Plex actually gives away. you a fist bump into the high five oh yes 
be awkward. Open hand to fist bump thing, and then I change, and then he changes, then we go for a handshake, and then it's all super awkward. But nonetheless, when he when he gets the gist of what's just happened, he'll be super pleased with me. <laughs> uh, Vander, your automaton is back. Amazing. So Vander's gonna scuttle down the stairs uh, and onto the main deck to meet Plex, where he's gonna examine him to make sure he's okay. Okay, I don't mind you doing that, but after that, you have to go and update the spreadsheet. Anyone, anyone at the wheel? Yeah, I was going to say. Got, we've got two automatons at the wheel, which is why they went there. Vanda, please roll a d20. 13. Vanda, alert. The wheel is not working. Alert. Vanda turns to Augustus. Thank you, Augustus. Good timing. Well deserved. We are appreciative, aren't you, Plex? Yes. A pleasure. The least I could do, gentlemen. While Steph happing around, Pock's going to go and investigate this broken wheel and rudder. Happing <laughs> around? Uh, yeah, Vanda's going to say, a rather pressing matter on the poop deck. I will uh, be heading back there now. <laughs> alert. Alarm. Alert. Alarm. I'm now back on the poop deck. Report. <laughs> uh, so you and Tok have both appeared by the... Tok's going to immediately start tying his rope around his waist and to something seriously sturdy the main stick and he's going to lean out and see if the see the condition of the rudder i assume the rudder is how we steer this thing how do we steer this thing is it a mixture of rudders and sails or <sighs> why why must we always ask questions about how boats work for fuck's sake it's a wheel you turn it it changes direction i mean fu- what do you hey, well it doesn't at the moment does it well no because it's broken as i've identified to you and so I was wondering, do I have to look out over the side of the ship to see if there's damage to the... Uh... Sure. Why not? Let's do it. Let's do that. Lead <laughs> over the side of the ship and see what happens. Hence the rope. Why did okay. we send the tin man to do this? <laughs> uh, Benny, uh, Benny is uh, back to feeling extremely airsick and panicked. <laughs> and he's wedged himself underneath that staircase and has got Lenny sitting on his lap. And he's like stroking Lenny and sort of going, there, there, Lenny, calm down, as if he's, as if he's soothing the dog. But really, it's the dog that's soothing him. <laughs> as as Vanda passes Benny, don't worry, Benny. Um, this sort of thing tends to happen. Just a minor hiccup, I'm sure. As I scuttle up the stairs, looking pretty concerned. <laughs> <laughs> the wheel is not working. It is stuck. We do not know why. Otis, get below. See if you can diagnose the problem of the mechanism. Yes, Vanda. He disappears below deck at a rate of high speed. Tok, would you like to give me an investigation check? I am going to guide myself with my knowledge of engineering works. <sighs> Boom. 24. 24. Okay. Uh, it seems that in the attack from the flying terror beast uh, that you haven't identified yet, um, some of the mechanisms inside the ship near to the engine room where the capacitor is uh, have somehow got locked. You think with a firm hand you could dislodge the debris that is in the way and correct the ship. Okay, Tok will get on to fixing it as quickly as possible. Athletics check. Uh, is anybody around? Uh, Vander's next to you. Vander's next to me. Okay, Vander, you'll notice again, uh, Tok's armour will have a small, cr- like, crackling electricity go over it for the uh, whilst he's moving all this stuff. Uh, so that'll be a 20, uh, because he rolled a 15, and he added a plus 5, hence the crackling electricity over his arm. Ah, nice. All right, yep. Yeah. So Tok grabs the wheel, jerks it suddenly, and you hear a kind of cracking coming from below. Uh, and Vander, you hear Otis from below. That appeared to have worked. 
uh, as the ship begins to right itself. Uh, Vanda, you look over the side and the mountains are incredibly close and you're still in a nosedive at the uh, moment. Tock will pull back on the stick, <laughs> on the wheel, assuming that's how we make it go up. Do you know how it flies? I've been watching, I've been on the airship for a while seeing people fly. I imagine the general principles. You pull on the wheel uh, and the ship begins to come out of its nosedive just as it's about to hit the ground and you hear a kind of as it lands in a pool of water in the mountain and it kind of gently rocks for a moment and then comes to a stop still in one piece. Very good. I will toggle turn to Vander and say, uh, we should inspect the hull for leaks. I think we've earned a little break. Maybe instruct the automaton slaves to do the work. Again, Vander doesn't really credit that with any comment and walks off the poop deck. <laughs> okay, if he's not doing it, Tok will go down and tell um, Otis and uh, whatever. The, Otis was still downstairs in the hold, wasn't he? Hang on, you just call them slaves and then you just whatever them. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, Vander then just casually says as he walks down to the poop deck, belay that, and then just wanders down to the galley. <laughs> then Tok will go and do it himself. Check the, uh, the hull for leaks. Uh, so you head downstairs and you can find that the hull actually has a number of heavily damaged sections. There, There is small amounts of water pouring into the lower decks of the ship. Any, I'm assuming there are no like actually caved in bits, but just sort of like leaks between boards yeah correct so he'll, yeah he'll go and try and fix those with some um uh so i think the best thing to use is like pitch and try and stuff the holes full of like a uh, straw or material to block them up okay try and make a seal at least a temporary seal until we can take it to someone who knows what they're doing cool tinker's tools we're currently we're currently floating right yeah you are currently floating uh hey 19 on tinker's tools excellent yep yeah, you're able to plug the gaps oh shit i didn't guide myself <laughs> As you're as you're fixing up the leap, however, you do notice some heavier damage on the interior mast um, that needs some replacing if you are to successfully fly again. So you need some Jerima wood in order to replace the broken mast. That's going to be tricky. Okay. While you consider this down below decks, uh, you hear a sudden low rumbling as the air elemental bursts out of the capacitor, flies up through the ship, and the rest of you see him kind of appear suddenly on the poop deck. Yeah, Tuck will make his way up, Ted. He stretches out, I must rest, and then he zooms up into the sky and disappears. That makes two of us, pal. Uh, Tuck will appear up on the deck and say, uh, um, I have fixed many leaks in the hull. We are no longer taking on water, but there is damage to the mast. We must seek repairs. Vander is now sipping on a tea in his, in his break with an exotic cheroot in his other hand. Thank you, Tok. Of course, the ship's crew will assess the damage, but we appreciate your input. Yes, Vander. But Vander, you instructed the crew not to assess the damage to the hull. That's because we're very unionized, Tok, and we're on break. Yes, Vander. Vander, what is a union? Is it like a team? Very much so. <laughs> then why did you not assist? Because the union rules say we break now. Tends to happen after you fight mythical and terrifying beasts in the air. But Vander, the ship was taking on water. If we do not fix the leaks, we would sink. 
Oh, and look at that. The break's over. And Vanda starts scuttling downstairs. Vanda, the leaks are fixed. I fixed the leaks, but the mast is damaged. We need wood from the dreamer tree. I'll be the judge of that, but thank you, Talk. And then wanders downstairs. Vanda arrives a minute later. We need some Jerima wood. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Vanda. Now, happily, I believe that our original destination may be the right place still to, and it may be we can limp there. Slightly more difficult now, our method of propulsion is also on a break of sorts. And yes, Benny, that is serious. Uh, Banda, I do not believe the ship would fly without the mast being repaired. The Sterling has landed in a small lake in a safe clearing on Grod Sankir. Even from where you are, uh, you can see the crystal blue water of the lake, but it's too deep to see the bottom. Around you are glistening stones of different shapes and colours. There is a fine mist covering the peaks above you, and 60 feet to the south is a cliff edge, beyond which lies smaller mountains as far as the eye can see. Uh, in the clearing itself, there is a small cave with a stone overhang. As you look out over, you can see in the distance a small gnomish city. Bandit, you know that to be Slate Home. It is less than a day's walk from your current location. So it, it's still relatively early. It's like 10 in the morning. Uh, the ship currently is unable to fly, and there is no waterway that leads down to Slate Home. The only way of getting there is to walk. Is there any sense anyway, gentlemen, in not letting the people of Slate Home know that we have an airship? Is that not drawing attention to ourselves? So the fact that it's plunged at an incredible rate down into this lake and then somehow not smashed to a million pieces when it landed could work in our favour while we quietly repair it. Perhaps leave the automatons here other than Tok to get on with that work, provided obviously we can find the wood. And then we can slip into the town somewhat less conspicuously than we otherwise would have done. What I'm hearing is you think we should get off the airship. And to be honest, that's all I care about at this point. And yes, I'm in favour of this plan. Whatever. I didn't get the details, but yes. I find your proposal of discretion acceptable. Wonderful. Vander? Vander appears from his cabin in his walking cloak. Where, where, did, where did he get it? Was it Batistutas? Vander can't afford to shop at Batistutas. I know, I know. Vander shops at, I'm trying to think of a really middling player. Carlton Palmer's robes for all occasions. Oh, unnecessary cheap shot at Carlton Palmer. Sheffield <laughs> Wednesday legend, Carlton Palmer. Uh, Vander. Uh, Vanda rattles off uh, a series of orders to the automatons uh, around maintenance of the ship, including that they must clean the helm after unclean hands have touched it. He then makes his way to disembark. Yes, Vanda. Are we by the side of the lake, or do we have to sail it to the side of the lake? Because <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I really like this. Vanda splashes off the edge. <laughs> Um, you guys are very close to the edge of the lake, so you can easily lower the ramp and just walk on to safe ground. I love the look of terror in your eyes as you said the word ramp. <laughs> Whatever the, the wood planky thing is called. The long, extendable plank thing. So you guys are heading towards Slate Home. Um, Augustus, please roll a d20. Sure can. 15. Thank you. Uh, Tok? I was going to say, uh, Tok is going to take a look around at the trees in the local area to see if he can see anything, any Jerima trees. Cool. Give me a nature check. Uh, since he does know what they look like. 
which is knowledge he's going to use to guide himself. Uh, 26. There are no Jerima trees that you see on your journey, but you do see a lot of pine trees. If you could smell, they would smell lovely. And instead, you can just tell that there is a scent using your olfactory settings. That is correct. Are we just leaving a Quetzalcoatlus corpse on the uh, <laughs> on the quarterdeck there? I've issued uh, instructions to the automatons to uh, chop it up, and obviously I'll be looking to make soup out of that by the end of the day. As, as you depart the ship, you hear in the distance from behind you, Rosalind, <laughs> <laughs> who has been on the ship the whole time. <laughs> That's a good point. I will cook this up. It'll make a nice you. What's happened to her? <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been a traumatic fight for Rosalind. That's how she speaks. Very heavy pot landed on her head. Told you guys, honestly. <laughs> it's absolutely exhausting running these things for you, just so that you're aware. If the voices are sometimes a little bit squiffy, that's why. No, I can um, imagine it's like we're a nightmare. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> you traverse the rugged terrain and the air grows crisp, carrying the scent of fresh pine and the distant sound of tinkering gears. Follow the path down and you start to see breathtaking vistas of majestic peaks. There are jagged cliffs adorned with hardy flora who seem to stand as guardians of this ancient route. As you descend further, the melody of chisels and hammers harmonizes with the gentle hum of machinery echoing from the heart of the city that appears as you turn the last corner. Welcome to Slateholm, the glittering city. place of towering spires and bustling streets that reverberate with the hum of machinery and the strange glow of neon light even in the daytime. The city is a testament to the gnomish ingenuity and technical mastery, but it's clearly not restricted to only gnomish population. As you make your way into the city, you see all sorts of people, humans, orcs, dragonborn, goblins, tieflings. They all fill the busy streets. There's even a handful of automatons clanking around. The flickering neon signs cast an otherworldly glow, painting the streets in vibrant hues of pink, yellow, green, and black. As you begin to walk through the streets, Vanda, you know exactly where you're heading, having been here before, and the previously nice sunny day has suddenly become overcast, and drops of rain begin to fall. There is a perpetual hazy mist covering the streets, obscuring the view of anything but the glowing signs and the people closest to you. Can I have an intelligence check from each of you, please? Uh, Vanda brought his uh, sunny disposition along with him. Seven. <laughs> so nine. Sixteen. <laughs> Say it. I'd like it to be known that I rolled twenty-five when I was accidentally at advantage. What did you actually roll? Seven. Natural one. Brilliant. <laughs> Augustus, um, intrigued by the um the lack of intelligence around me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone else has their heads down looking at their own. Or sucking our trousers and laughing. <laughs> Yeah. Everyone's got, everyone else has got the reverse bends from coming down so quickly from the sky. You're the one that has failed to locate the intelligence button, so I don't think you get any more on my ground here. I pressed on the word intelligence. <laughs> anyway, you, you look up at the lights which are casting this strange colouring over the streets, uh, and closer inspection reveals that there are small insects inside behind the glass bulb, uh, and the glow is emanating from their illuminated posteriors. Oh, t totally worth it. 
I point out, I explain the word illuminated and the word posterior to my friends. <laughs> Presumably that goes right over my head. Glow butts. <laughs> it's very difficult to create a world where you have allusions to things like lights when lights don't exist. So you have to come up with reasons. And I thought you might be interested to know <laughs> why there are neon light in a medieval fantasy setting. Most of our group aren't intelligent enough to grab the concept. So. I was interested to know that. I was, I was thinking that we've all got quite high intelligence. But I was thinking we're overwhelmed by this new foreign city and it's dulling our senses. Cool. In fact, our, our group is actually genuinely a very brainy group for character wise, so just for clarity. <laughs> character wise. <laughs> and even yeah. then, the, the last roles suggest otherwise. <laughs> it's actually quite a difficult thing for the DM, right? Having real life dullards playing intelligent DD characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Correct. Normally, normally for. for D&D intelligence is like a dump stat for everyone who isn't a wizard, but we we literally haven't got less than a plus two. No power gamers here. You're all yeah. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so following Vander's loose instructions, you head towards Tinker's Alley on the southwest outskirts of the city. Even uh, in the early morning, uh, the clanging of hammers and the hiss of steam can be heard. The alleyways team with gnomish artisans, each tinkering away at their own intricate devices. Their hands are stained with oil and their eyes gleaming with a mix of curiosity and obsession. None of them look up at you as you wander through the streets. Is anyone trying to be stealthy or does anyone like to kind of approach this interaction in any way other than normal? Uh, I think Vanda's just going to have a quick word with the group since we're approaching Gearhead. Gentlemen, I know I briefly mentioned Gearhead and her predilection. I just want to reaffirm that she is, for lack of a better term, purest evil, a temper so foul, few can even comprehend its viciousness and have only seen it myself a few times. But I can tell you now, we definitely want to be on her right side. Do we understand each other? Yes, Vanda. We should not stand on the left. Excellent, Vanda says, feeling no sense of reassurance. Augusta simply chuckles. Excellent, Vanda says, feeling no sense of reassurance. Uh, yeah, fine, Vanda. I'm I'm not looking to get into any any arguments. I'm still feeling a bit a bit woozy. I will be quiet and stay out of the way. In the heart of Tinker's Alley lies the building Vanda knows to be, uh, to belong to Gearhead and her Greasefire gang. The building itself is covered in graffiti and damage, but even with all of that, you can tell that this used to be a temple or a church of some kind. Can I have religion checks from everyone, please? Fifteen. Uh, Twenty-one. Eight. Fifteen. Augustus Tock and Vanda, you all recognise the kind of faded markings uh, that identify this as a temple of the god Tyr. Outside of Gearhead's den, two hulking gnomish guards, or about as hulking as a gnome can get, stand at the entrance, their eyes surveying all those who dare venture near the building. They're both wearing tinted black goggles over their eyes and have tattoos covering their bare muscular arms. They both have club hammers on loops around their waist. You got any gnomish, Vander? I've got enough to get by, I think. I approach the gnomes. What do you want? I, using absolutely no gnomish, say, can I speak to Gearhead, please? At the same time, I produce the chocolate bar I had in episode two and continue to gum it. She expecting you? I think we go back long enough for this to be a social call. Give me a persuasion check, please. 
I'm going to go 19. Nat, in you go. Weapons in first chamber. Many thanks. And Vanda beckons the team through. Uh, you guys step into the dimly lit chamber filled with the rhythmic clatter of machinery and the sharp scent of grease. There is an old gnomish woman stood behind a metal caged counter. She has a bright yellow beehive, which can only be fake, and thick bright red, red lipstick. She looks at you and opens up a metal slide drawer in front of her cage. Weapons in here. No trouble, no death. Bander obliges, putting his uh, flintlock in the drawer. And the rest of you? Doc will try and put an entire spear into a drawer. <laughs> leave it by the side. Uh, yeah, he'll <laughs> leave it by the side. And he nods in a friendly way and pops his, pops his bow and his short sword in there. Yeah, likewise. So rapier, longbow, dagger, whatever else. Oh, anyway, anyway, all weapons in the drawer, that's fine, or by the drawer. Yeah, Toc will also leave his mace that I realise he's also carrying. There's a good boy. You can go through. Banda hobbles through. Following the instructions from the receptionist, uh, you push the doors, head down a small corridor, and then push two thick metal doors, which have been roughly installed on a wooden frame. It opens up into an enormous cavernous room. Pitched roof rises nearly 50 feet in the air, while remnants of wooden pews scattered on the floor. Ahead up a small set of marble steps is a huge piece of machinery, like a metal barge ship, with countless metal wheels along one side and lengths of co copper wiring strewn out at different angles. Even from this distance, you can see a small pair of feet jutting out from under the machine, and sparks are shooting out all around. Vanda approaches cautiously. The sparks stop as the small figure wheels herself out on a wooden creeper. Her face is relatively young-looking and covered in grease. She's wearing dark blue overalls, and her surprisingly muscular arms are covered in tattoos. Her hair is bubblegum pink, tied in a top knot over which sit a pair of dirty goggles. Oh, hello there! Is that Mustang? Vanda turns to the group. I knew it. She's furious. Steady now. And I turn back. Geared! And I open my arms wide. Oh, you know I don't like to hug. But it is a surprise to see you. I mean, you know the world's going to be turned upside down. When Mustang arrives on your doorstep in the middle of the day, what brings you back to sleet home, Mustang? I laugh sycophantically. <laughs> well, you see, Gearhead, me and my crew here, I gesture to the team, we're actually in the business of looking for work. Very experienced team I have behind me. A lot of jobs under our belts. I'm sure you have something that we could do, something lucrative, maybe. It's a real pleasure to see you. Oh, <laughs> Oh, you always were the charmer. Oh, it's it's a pleasure to meet the rest of you. You can call me Greta. And she kind of wipes her hand on a dirty rag and offers it to Augustus and Benny. Wonderful. Shakes the hand. Uh, firm grip. Very firm. Likewise. I shake a hand and say, nice to meet you, Greta. Name's Benny. Oh, Benny. Ooh. Say it in gnomish to be ingratiating. Oh, I like that. That's great. And a little bit of an accent there. Is that... Middleton? Oh, well spotted, well spotted. Yeah, absolutely. Quite right. I've always had an ear for these things. I'm impressed. We're a long way from Middleton. Ah, well, you know, I've, I've been around. I mean, Mustang's probably told you all the old stories, and he you can't shut him up most of the time. I laugh. <laughs> is that what you've? Is that what you found? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, I don't know. It'd be really interesting to get your perspective on on some of the old stories that that good old Mustang tells. You know, 
Vanda shuffles in front of Benny. I apologize, gearhead. Bit of a talker. Oh, I like him. I like him. And who's the uh, who's the tall fella? I mean, that is that is quite the suit you're wearing. Is that Costa Curtis? Augustus Zeno, he says in flawless, unaccented gnomish. Oh, a pleasure to meet you, madam. The pleasure's all mine. And you notice that she's blushing slightly. Uh, she shakes your hand again. I give her a devilish grin. <laughs> You're looking for some work. Oh, hang on. What's this? Oh, you've got yourself another automaton. This ain't like the other ones, is it? And she pulls the goggles down and walks up to talk and begins kind of prodding and poking and pulling out tools and kind of hitting you. This here is custom design. Yes, he's quite special. Vanda says admiringly. <laughs> My name is Talk. Oh, I didn't ask for your designation, but all right, talk. I mean, it's not your best, is it, hey, Mustang? You could have come up with something better. I was not named by Mustang. I was named by my creator. He's quirky, Gerd. Again, apologies. Yeah, quirky automaton, eh? That's quite unusual. And now that I look at it, this is its quite a unique construction, isn't it? Where did you find him? Vanda's now furiously shuffling around to get in front of Tok. Yes, yes, time to discuss. I'm sure we could sit down and have a drink soon and maybe discuss old adventures together. I did mention work. I'm sure you have jobs around for us. I've got myself a fantastic job, but it's not an easy job. But the pay is spectacularly good. I was going to bring in young Bartle Schultz, uh, but that was before you arrived on my doorstep, so... Yeah, if you want me to pick your team instead of Bartle's, I need to know that you can handle it as well as he and his team could. Oh, well, I can assure you they're all killers. That one there, pointing at Benny, he does little else. Give me a persuasion check. When, when, when Vander describes Benny as such, Benny opens his mouth to contradict him and then thinks a little better of it and shuts his mouth again. His persuasion was 16. That's all right, Mustang. We go quite far back. I, I do trust you, although I'm pretty sure the last time we spoke, you said you'd rather be dead than ever show up in Sleet Home again, didn't you? But that's fine. I think the automaton will be fine. I mean, just look at him. Look at all those parts. He's a little beaten up. I could probably give him the once-over, you know, make him look fresh and new. Well, that's a very kind offer. I look slightly worried at Tok. Wouldn't that be nice, Tok? I am capable of repairing myself if I had time. We have been busy. Clearly. Well, I mean, I'm not here to disparage your work. You you have quite the attitude, which is something else, isn't it, Mr. Automaton? Talk, sorry to call you by your name. I mean, I was just offering a kindness, a kindness to fix you up much quicker than you could fix yourself. But if you don't want it, that's fine. I would find your offer acceptable. Oh, excellent. Now, talk. you tell me, where, where did you get your armor from? My armor was built by my creator, Tick. Hmm. And where was Tick from? Who built him? He was built by his creator, Tok. Oh, and who built his creator, Tok? His creator was Tick. Oh, and how far does this Tick Tok go back, eh? It goes back to the creator of all automatons. The Overross. I think you might have got that a little bit wrong, but it's to be understood, you know, you're you're only a robot after all. She pats you heavily on the arm. Anyway, let's let's fix you up a little bit more.
And I finished fixing up your automaton. He's uh, he's looking pretty good, I'd say. What work has she done? She's literally just buffered out a few of the... Okay. Can everyone give me a perception check, please? 14. 20, oh no, 17. Uh, 23 with a natural 20. And 15, the talk. Okay, while this is all going on, Benny, you've been keeping your eyes on Gearhead, and you've noticed that she hasn't really taken her eyes off Tok since she first met him. And even when she's working on him, you can see that she's, her eyes are kind of moving all, over, all up and down and all over. You've got to bear in mind that Augustus is in the room here. Exactly. Yeah, clearly not the hottest item there is uh, around. <laughs> Come here, I'll, I'll tell Bartle. I'll use them another day. I think you guys are going to do this job pretty well. I'll have a seat. I'll get us some refreshments and I'll tell you everything there is to know about this. All right. So you guys sit down with her and you hear her clap twice. And from a door that you haven't seen on the other side, two quite attractive female gnomes come out. Uh, they appear to be wearing like nice dresses, hair's done nicely, heavy makeup, also have tattoos on their arms, and they're carrying trays with food and drinks on them. They bring them over to where you're sitting. You guys notice tea, whiskey, um, sandwiches, like d- quite delicious foods. And Gearhead slaps both the women on the ass, uh, and they giggle and leave. Please, have tea, have tea. Whiskey, cut sandwiches, all sorts of food. It's the finest food you'll get in this place. And he helps himself to a whiskey and a slightly slightly too large pile of sandwiches to be polite. I'm, I'm getting increasingly suspicious about what's going on here. But the only thing I can think of that uh, Augustus could use here, he's got divine sense, which detects certain kinds of evil. But it, doesn't really, it says celestial fiend or undead, which doesn't really feel like where we are. But I guess if it's not going to kind of cost me anything... That when we're not in combat, then I might just do that just to see if there's anything along that those lines going on behind the scenes here. You've always had this sense of when when there's evil or strange things afoot, and you kind of close your eyes for a moment and focus, and you don't you don't register that there's any kind of celestial fiend, anything unusual in this place. Certainly nothing undead, but there is a very small voice in the back of your head that says, "Ah." Your home. Okay, well, Augustus relaxes somewhat and shares the food and tea, I suppose. So, the job, I suppose I should give you the details. Uh, do you know what this thing is over here? And she points at the huge metal barge with the wheels on it. Investigation check. 13. You recognise this as a very obvious construction of the Gnomish people. has all of the standard designs of it. And it looks like a transportation, similar to like a metal cart. But the, the way that the wheels are designed, it looked like that they should sit on tracks. Would I understand uh, the concept of a train? Or I suppose a minecart I would. I've been in mines before. It would be like a, like a really ornate big minecart. Doc will reply in Gnomish, um, uh, it is a transportation device that moves on tracks, not unlike a minecart. It is advanced. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, that's right. It, it is a bit like a minecart, but it's actually, we call it a steam runner. Um, we've been building it recently. There's tracks that go all the way around Ovik. Um, and we're about to launch the, the first ever one for public consumption. The maiden voyage actually is tomorrow night. There are a lot of dignitaries from upper echelons of impor- imperial society that are going to be there. And one of them is a woman called Lady Sophia Calibri. She's from Alfarm. What I need you guys to do is steal a ring from her. And will she be on this contraption? She absolutely will. So I have been building this particular section, this carriage, which will be added to the Steam Runners train. 
within it, there is a compartment that I can smuggle you into to forego any need for official invitation. No one will question you once you're on board. Of course. And the matter of coin? Well, I was looking to pay 400 gold for someone completing this job. And as a bonus, anything you find on there, other than the ring, you can keep. I think I speak for the crew when I say we'd be delighted to, and jobs of this level are run-of-the-mill for us. What's, uh, what's interesting about Ring? Well, it's, it's an old family heirloom. It's stolen by the Emperor during the creation of the Empire. I want it back, and, you know, if something bad were to happen to this lady, I wouldn't shed a tear. The Empire has wronged all of us. Indeed. But, in many ways, they're just like any other kingdom that rules. They're a necessary evil, aren't they? I think, you know, I'd agree with Arthur. Is there any other information you need before doing the job? Well, I was wondering, Geard, we have a need of repairs of our transport ourselves. Might it be uh, possible to acquire this? Hmm. Well, Mustang, that is quite the pickle. As you know, it's quite a rare wood and, I mean, it's illegal to own it. So I don't know why you think I'd have some. Oh, just intuition, I guess. <laughs> oh, you do make me laugh. I'll tell you what, you complete this job for me, I'll make sure you get enough wood to fix whatever it is you've broken. Very kind, very kind. What is it you've broken? Oh, nothing of great import. It's uh, just a method of transport I've been working on. Not as fancy as your contraption here. Give me a persuasion or deception check. Ten. She looks at you for a moment. Okay, well, I think 400 gold. And some wood is a fair deal, don't you? Agreed. And Vanda's gnarled hand shoots out. I, um, I've got a couple of questions. Well, well, Mustang, as the person who is doubtless going to be the one doing the actual stealing, I have a, I have a couple of practical questions. Um, this lady, Sophia, does she travel with much of a guard or is she uh, traveling solo? Well, she's a member of the elite, so I'd imagine she'll be traveling with some guard. I mean, not everyone is as brave as... Augustus here to just be walking around with some friends. Mm. And uh, the ring does she does she wear it or would would it likely be in some sort of uh, safe place? She would likely be wearing it, so I'm afraid it's going to take quite a masterful thief to get it off of her hand without noticing. Unless, of course, you want to take the whole hand. Just a finger would suffice. No, good to have options, isn't it? Absolutely. Any other questions I can help you with, Benny? I think that'll do for now. Thanks. Those seem to be the key things. Weary, once we have removed the finger and ring, how would we proceed back to this location? Oh, it'd be quite simple. Just head back to this carriage here, get back into your hiding spots, and eventually the steam runner will come back to Slate Home. No chance of the uh, wood up front then, Gearhead, he says tentatively. Give me a persuasion check at disadvantage. Come on, we got this. Oh, six. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Now, you know, that's not how I like to do business now, Mustang, is it? Oh, yes, I remember now. <laughs> one, one, one more thought, Greta. Is it possible to get a map of this of this engine? So, you know, how many carriages there are going to be between the one we're secreted in and the one that uh, old uh, Lady Sophia is going to be in and any sort of obstacles we might be able to anticipate in between two? I'm sure I could come up with something for you before tomorrow. No problem. That'd be extremely helpful. Where is it you're staying? Where should I send the, the information to? Excellent question. Where is it we're staying, Mustang? We'll come by and pick it up. 
why don't we say that you guys show up here tomorrow, early afternoon, say two o'clock, and I'll make sure to uh, put you away in the relevant carriage hiding spots. How's that sound? It sounds like a plan. And whenever you're ready, you come back tomorrow morning, and I'll make sure to give you the plans too. Very kind. We should be going now, but it's lovely to see you, Gear. We must catch up properly soon. Of course. Greta, might, might I ask just before we depart, how did you come to be in this strange building? It's quite an unusual place to become a workshop or whatever you'd call this establishment that you're running. It was a temple to Tyr, the god of courage and self-sacrifice. Talk seems to know an awful lot about it. His symbol is a white gauntlet. I think that's right. As I understand it, they used to be worshippers of Tyr here. Like knights, you know? The kind of dashing heroes, big, tall, and strong riding horses into battle. Thank you, Greta. It's fascinating. I just was interested to know the the background of this rather unusual place. I'm sure there'll be other people around town who know more than me, but I just like to use it because it's big and spacious. Hopefully we'll we'll see you again, Greta. It'll be lovely to uh, hear some stories at, at good old days. We we you and we you and Mustang. I'm sure you've got I'm sure you've got some some tales that even he's not told us about yet. And then, you know, maybe we can all enjoy. I'll tell you about the crazy Ivan he once pulled. Woo-hoo! Uh, Mustang, he's crazy. Oh yes. Yeah. How much has become clear? I laugh as getting to my doddery feet and making my way to the exit. <laughs> so you guys have head back back out into Tinker's Alley. Um, you know that you have a job in 24 hours time and you can head back in the morning to get the plans. So, so what would you like to do? Gentlemen, before we do anything... I think to be seen together as a four, when it's possible that half of the empire is looking for a quartet of people, including an automaton and an individual of Vander's particular description. Yeah. I suggest we might be better served to divide perhaps into pairs and to reconvene here. We could even head for the same inn, but to move around as a four is probably something we should avoid henceforth. Good idea, I think. I find that idea sensible. Oh, it's a step up from acceptable. Uh, yeah, makes sense to me. Just overtaking squirrels and shot up to three. <laughs> uh, so where 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 are you heading? Who are the pairs? And I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, head over to or shamble up to Augustus. Augustus, I just wanted to say again, thank you for saving Plex. He is dear to me and. Maybe I can buy you a drink. It sends his gnarled hand again, which I'm sure is quite horrible, but... No, um, Augustus is happy to shake it and says, uh, thank you, Vander. I appreciate your kind words and I'm glad to have been able to assist. Well then, let's go and get that drink. To the glittering pearl! Augustus yells in the middle of the street, causing a few <laughs> gnomes to look up and then completely disregard him and go back to their tinkering. Well, I can see the glittering pearl is, is near the bazaar. So I... Uh, but, um, Benny has a, a selection of jewels, of gems that he kind of like thinks would be quite nice to get a bit of bit of cash for in order to uh, purchase some accommodation for the evening. So I'm going to kind of have a look out for a place that might uh, might be able to sell those. I will accompany you, Benny. There are some items I wish to procure. Okay, cool. Benny and Tuck are going to a shop, which I'm sure can only end in good things. Bando uh, <laughs> and Augustus are going to the Glittering Pearl. As, as we walk, I'd like to kind of keep an eye out for people's responses to talk. Okay. Uh, yeah, give me a perception check. 
22. Reams from the grandstand as the automaton comes past. Of, of all the people who you encounter along the path, you occasionally see the odd eye look in his direction, but there isn't a huge amount of recognition. Um, automaton, you, there are a number of automatons that you see in the street as well, and they, they draw similar reactions. And the people of this city are used to seeing automatons. Does, uh, does Tuck look noticeably different from other automatons? He does look a bit different, yeah. He's he's kind of quite a unique model. All the others are, are a lot more standard, but they're still quite similar in their looks. He's just, if, if you're really paying attention to him, which people aren't, you'd be able to tell the differences. Yeah, so Gearhead immediately picked up on it, but presumably an expert of some kind. And and as we walk, do I notice the, the automatons, like, presumably they're, they're with people, right? Yeah. Do they do things like go into shops with people or do they kind of tend to wait outside or what, what's the way it tends to work around here? Yep. So they, they, the automatons follow their masters everywhere that the masters go. Um, as you're looking at the various shops, as you walk through the bazaar area, um, you notice the automatons walking out carrying sacks of things that have been bought, presumably in the shop. So I said, Tok, this might, this might sound a bit weird, but while we're here in city, it might be wise if we pretend that I'm your master and uh, you sort of follow my lead, if that makes sense. You wish for us to blend in, Benny? Yes, exactly. That is exactly what I'd like us to do. I find your suggestion of discretion acceptable. All right. Benny and Tok, uh, you'd notice a shop called Floral and Hardy, which appears to be a kind of general store, have various items on the outside. that You can certainly see some gems on the inside. Uh, through the windows so it looks like a good spot to go i say so right i'm gonna i'm gonna have a crack at selling these gems here um what is it that you're looking to buy i was looking to buy a small leather belt around 12 inches long approximately half an inch wide and a gem of quartz it is a common gem it should not be cost a significant amount i'm also interested in purchasing any exotic inks but that is a lesser priority. All right. Well, let's see what we can do then and uh, head into the shop. We'll come back to you in a second. Uh, Augustus and Fander, uh, you have head into the Glittering Pearl. It's a, a fairly rowdy place. There's a lot of noise. It's already quite busy. The ceilings are quite low, obviously designed for the gnomish people, and the majority of people in there are gnomish. Uh, I shamble in, uh, guiding Augustus in with me. Uh, seeing that it's quite busy, I shamble up to a table of two, looking at the two gnomes sat there. I remove my mask. Sorry, I don't suppose these tables are free. The gnomes look at you, horrified, grab their drinks, stand up and immediately walk away. I turn politely. Oh, goodness. It looks like there are some tables as I fit my mask back to my face. Why don't we have a seat here? Coming, of course. How about we try a... A drink that's rather a local delicacy. Would you like that? Yes, that sounds enchanting. I turn to the bar staff. Two creme de monts. <laughs> <laughs> Coming right up. So, Augustus, your sword strike today was superb. A great example of poise, if you don't mind me saying. Thank you, Vander. It was very kind. And the, the work of you, you and your team in avoiding the... Collision with the ground was also excellent and timely. I will say that I am not a bad pilot. 
Have you got any training with that sword? You look like a trained fighter. Yes, of course. It was part of my education back in Denoflia. It was expected for any young gentleman to know how to wield a sword and move with grace. It certainly did today. I uh, used to have some talent with a blade too, believe it or not. I do believe it, Vanda. In fact, I'd wanted to ask you a little of that. I saw you in conversation with Kaelin back in Haven, and he, to my eyes, appeared familiar with you. You embraced each other, I think. I wondered whether you and he had some history, and such a such a brave and strong person as he was made me wonder if, if you'll forgive me, your past life was more of that sort. I take on a, a misty look and slug back a tasty creme de menthe while I consider answering. I really talked myself into a corner there. That got a lot ruder. I was basically like, hey, did you, did you, did you used to be like... <laughs> I tried desperately not to be offended, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was a different time, Augustus. I was uh, once not as I am now. I uh, knew Kaylin when we were both much younger. My body was whole. And as I say, I was actually quite the swordsman. Really? And, and why did, how did you find yourself fighting alongside Kaylin if fighting is what you were doing? Well, young men do have a weakness for heroism, don't they? Not something I'm afflicted with these days, you know. But in what cause? Well, of course, against the Empire. What else? Notes being made there. A lot of scribbling of pencils there. I was fairly well known, actually, though I say so myself. Though I also had many of the weaknesses of the young. Quite unbearable in some ways, I'm afraid. Not the whole and wonderful angelic character I am now. I smile with all three of my teeth. Right, so I find that impossible to imagine, Vanda. I'm sure you were, have always been exactly as delightful as you are now. Of course, I simper, missing the clear sarcasm. Two more creme de menthe. Am I right up? Are they both for you? <laughs> And you, Augustus, tell me your past. I'm intrigued to know where you learned your swordcraft. Well, I learned it in my home realm of Denothlia, my dear Vander. Uh, as, indeed, from the accent, I suspected Kaelin, which is why I took an interest in your point of origin. Well, Kaelin was, as you say, from your region. He is a powerful Rogan, very well known, hated by the Empire. He was a Rogan. Yes, such a breed of person isn't, doesn't tend to be seen in these parts, at least these times. You've heard of the breed? I have. I know a little of who they are and what, what legend says they can do. I confess I had thought until today that I'd never met one, although now I discover I had, maybe more than one. You may have. A very talented, very idealistic, very afflicted wraith. Hmm. As you indeed described yourself a moment ago. Interesting, that. Lugging another creme de menthe. <laughs> now just waving at the bar for more, not even speaking. <laughs> they bring the <laughs> bottle over. <laughs> oh, the creme de menthe bottle. Amazing. That's when you know you're winning at life. I pour a generous measure for Augustus, who I hope is, is keeping pace, right? Augustus takes his first sip of creme de menthe. That'll be one gold, please. I look... At Augustus, pausing ever so slightly. Augustus, being a man of breeding, waits a beat since uh, Vanda clearly offered to buy the drinks. 
But he, Augustus quickly produces the gold piece and hands it to the, the gnome serving us the drinks. Thank you. Fancy making that gold piece back. I'm not sure I understand your meaning, my dear man. Well, since coming in here, I have had a bit to drink now and I feel I could use seeing some violence. We could head over to the pit and place a bet. We've got a bottle of creme de menthe and a night to burn. What do you say? I think, my dear Vander, I must, with regret, decline. I fear I've seen more violence in the last week than I had hoped ever to see. <laughs> well, if there's one thing my past has taught me, it's that violence can be lucrative. I rather think that the method of accumulation of wealth is at least as important as the wealth itself. A very unnoble view of a noble man, if you don't mind my saying. Noblemen tend not to make their money via very noble means. At least that's my experience. Well, I think one thing we can say for certain of the four of us who find ourselves together is that none of us do what others tend to do at all. I guess that's true. Uh, Vanda takes another creme de menthe and swigs that one back. Benny and Tok, you have entered into a shop. Uh, it is a dusty, busy place uh, with lots of shelves stacked with all sorts of trinkets, curios, and more mundane things like strips of leather, basic clothing, all the standard adventuring items. There is a small gnome with a thick black beard and a singular monocle with a small extendable section on it. Hello there. Hiya. Hiya. Good afternoon. How's it going? Mm, not bad, not bad. It's almost the end of the day. Off to Glittering Pearl for some creme de menthe. Delicious. Oh, is that... I don't know if I've come across creme de menthe. Is that... Is that a, I take it that's a drink, is it? Is it nice, is it? It is. It's a gnomish delicacy. Bright Ooh. green. Very minty. Makes you smell all fresh. Maybe I'll give it a... Maybe I'll give it a try. Is it? Is it an alcoholic sort of drink, you know, or is it... It's quite strong. I'm not sure a human would be able to handle it. All right, all right. Well... Maybe I'll just try try a small one in a bit. Anyway, before we uh, before we start boozing, a uh, little bit a little bit of buying and selling, if uh, if you've a mind. That's why I'm here. Um, all right, let's start with. I take it. I take it. You buy. Of course, if you got good stuff, I'm always on the lookout for buying. Got some uh, got some gems here that I'm looking to uh, looking to sell. If you're interested. Mm course let me have a look at them no yeah take out the bag with the gems and kind of unfold it in front of him what do you reckon he pulls out his little monocle and he begins to investigate each gem individually and kind of stacks them into different colors oh this is a fine collection where'd you get this from it's uh it's me and erisence to be honest um last thing uh well all, the only thing me my parents really left me when they died and uh well it's a bit sad but got to got to cash it in you got to live haven't you yeah absolutely absolutely all right um, i'll give you i reckon these are worth about 50 gold well it's been a long day and you seem pleasant enough so i'm not minded to haggle about it 50 sounds about right to me slides the 50 and pulls the gems into a drawer behind the counter anything else uh well now selling's out of the way i was hoping for a little bit of buying i got a couple of things on my list sure no, just sold you some gems, but we're, we're looking for a bit of uh, a little bit of quartz. You got any quartz? Yeah, we got quartz. Fairly common. Uh, how much do you need? Uh, I think I just need uh, just need the one. Uh, talk. Remind me what 
What was it that we needed? Was it just one quartz? It was a small quartz crystal that was required. There you go. Who needs a memory when you got an automaton, eh? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I've got something that will do the job. It'll cost you eight gold. Uh, all right. Well, how about, have you got us a, I'm looking also for a leather belt. And have you, uh, have you got any, uh, this might sound weird, have you got any exotic inks? Yeah, got all sorts of exotic inks. Very popular with the gnomish people, the exotic inks. How much of that do you need? Talk, my memory's gone again. What was it we were after? It was ink of a magical nature. Okay, I think I get your meaning. Yeah, I can do you that for one gold. Uh, all right, so how about how about this? Uh, you give us 40, we'll take those items, and we'll we'll call it at that. Sounds like a deal to me. All right, pleasure doing business with you. And nice doing business. I must say, it's very nice to meet a such a polite human when his pet automaton, Tuck, you said his name was. What's your name? Benny. Ah, nice to meet you, Benny. My name is Hardy. Nice to meet you, Hardy. Nice to meet you too. We're uh, we're new in town. Um, where would you recommend finding a place to stay? Glittering Pearl does decent rooms, quite cheap. It's just over the road as well. Uh, might check it out. Thank you. And uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll see you there for a creme de month. Marvellous. Let's get moving. And as I step out into the sunshine, I say, I tell you what, talk. I wasn't being very cautious there. Didn't really think it through before uh, before he asked us for his names. Note uh, note to everyone: don't do that again. <laughs> Agreed, Benny. Maybe we should use second names, much like Mustang. Yeah, it might, it might not be a bad idea. Oh, well. <laughs> so you guys head over to the Glittering Pearl. Uh, as you enter, you notice that Vander and Augustus, they, they stand out from the rest of the crowd, obviously being substantially taller than most gnomes. Uh, they have a table to themselves where there is a nearly empty bottle of creme de menthe. Um, there is half a shot in a glass in front of Augustus and slopped creme de month all over the table near an empty glass in front of Vanda. Gentlemen, Vanda waves. <laughs> Augustus has clearly imbibed all of a sudden quite a lot of creme de month. Uh, and he's just finishing off a story as the other two arrive at the table. Then I ran out into the snow wearing nothing but a beaver pelt and an emerald tiara. The bishop saw the funny side once he calmed down and stopped crying. He was a friend of my father's, you know. Bloody good chap. Bloody good chap. Banda nods seriously. I quite understand. He's trying to put his mask back in place. Their voices appear to be different. Have they been poisoned? No, talk. They are pissed. Gentlemen, you should join us. You're just in time for the next round of the drinking game. We're playing Chicken Nug Nug. Augustus does a massive thumbs up. I do not detect the aroma of ammonia. Um, in the in the corner of the bar, a gnomish band begin striking the drums and playing a collection of lutes and flutes. Uh, and there is a, a general happy vibe in the pub. We're doing a good job of keeping our heads low, lads. Oh, yes, yes. Are you going to play chicken, Nug Nug? I think I'm winning. You see, Augustus just played Slippy Duck, then spilt his drink, failed to clock twice, and now he's in the hen house. That is not the place to be. Look, creme de month. We've got creme de month here for Vander and Augustus. Over here. <laughs> Hurrah! Banda, Benny was suggesting that we choose alternate names whilst we are in this city. I suggest we pick those names now. Yes! I want to pick Augustus's name. I'll be Mustard. What did that lady call you? No, I'm Mustard. 
Augustus is correct. Banda's name was Mustang. Oh yes, Mustang. Because of the horse incident. I remember that. But Fanda, Halen also said you had a different name. Is Vanda your real name? Vanda? I turn I turn to uh, Augustus. Oh look, Top's got a question. Look at Top. Look at his question. You see that? Augustus absolutely howls with laughter and like bangs the table. <laughs> Doc just like stares at them for a bit, turns back to Benny and says, Benny, are you sure they are all right? I mean, it depends on how you define an all right, doesn't it? Um, They'll be fine in the morning. Probably a bit of a dead loss for the rest of the day, to be honest. I lose it. Nothing, says Vander, rising to his feet. Excuse me, I think I've got to spend a penny, Benny. Tackling at his own awful joke as he shambles past outside to relieve himself in the privy. Benny, look, Benny looks uh, absolutely furious at this inadvertent callback to his childhood. I, I think probably this is about the time that Vander will shuffle off to bed after having, I think he's just going to pay for a room here at the night. Uh, Benny, shall we arrange for accommodation? They do not seem capable. There's a good man, Tok. Get my luggage. Tell you what, Tok, why don't we arrange for our accommodation and then we can see uh, see how they manage on their own. I find that to be acceptable. Yeah, me too. I find that to be pretty acceptable. All right, see you later, Augustus. Um, Augustus is dancing to music that you can't hear. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see you in the morning. And uh, Benny's going to go to his room and read through his notebook. And with you two heading up to the room and Vanda having disappeared to spend a penny, with Augustus dancing to the music of the band, not quite in time, the evening draws to a close and... On the following day, you are going to be attempting to rob a noblewoman on a train. And let's end it there. Well, that's an interesting question. I have to say, I believe it used to be I don't know what happened to her voice there. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, believe it. Turned into a fucking brummy. Yeah. Go and release some helium in the workshop. <laughs> Slowly, everyone's voices are going funny. Oh, I believe it used to be. Oh, fuck it, I've lost the accent. Fantastic. I think you started Irish and went West Country. I think you've been pretty yeah, much West I've Country been since then. Weaving between the two. It used to be a temple of sorts, as I understand it. Us gnomes used to worship a lot of people, you see. American, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) No no problem, man. (laughs) Us gnomes, yeah. I think, actually, just as a quick aside, and I know Dom is going to make you cut this out, (laughs) but there was a reference previously to everyone dying on a shopping trip. Yes. Is that a reference to prior questing? Yes. When, you know when we all died on a shopping trip? (laughs) (laughs) Was it it so (laughs) harrowing you you blocked it out? I've got no memory of that at all. I didn't die. I ran away screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Is that better somehow? <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please consider supporting Dice Company on Patreon or on Apple Podcasts, where for the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to a whole other show, Extra Rules, where the gang look back over previous chapters of the Dice Company story. Don't forget... You can find us on our socials at Dice Company on Blue Sky, at Dice Company Pod on X, and at Dice Company Podcast everywhere else. 
If you enjoyed this chapter, please like and subscribe, and don't forget to recommend us to your friends. If you didn't like it, recommend us to your enemies. And we'll see you next time on Dice Company.